welcome you this morning to the Ridge Church. You might be joining online or here live with us, but we're so glad you're here. And welcome to Snapshot. Snapshot, as you know, we started a few weeks ago where we give you a snapshot of some upcoming events and even prepare our heart just a little bit for worship. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. Hey, some upcoming events over this great Christmas season. On Wednesday night, December 16th at 6.30 p.m., right here in the main auditorium, we are having a family worship night. It's being led by our student ministry, so you might have a child or a grandchild, a family member that's a part of our youth ministry. If you do, we're going to come into the main auditorium on that Wednesday night and worship as a family. Now, you may not have anyone connected to the youth group, and you are so welcome to be here because, again, as a church family and as families, we're going to come together for a great evening of worship. We'll have some crazy games in there along with that worship. We're going to have a great time of preaching from God's Word. And again, that's on Wednesday night, December 16th, 6.30 p.m., right here in the main auditorium. Also want you to know that this Christmas season, we have six Christmas services over Christmas weekend. What I mean by that is we are going to have two of those on Christmas Eve. We'll have one of those on Christmas Day. And then two short days later will be Christmas Sunday on December 27th. And we'll have our three morning worships during that time as well. So you can come to any one of those six. They're going to be similar. As a matter of fact, they'll be about 45 minutes in length. We're going to come together and have a time of, of worship and a time of singing carols together, a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper and a great time of sharing from God's Word. So two of those on Christmas Eve will be at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. right here in the main auditorium. And the one on Christmas Day will be at 10.15 a.m. And then the three on Christmas Sunday on December 27th will be at 8, 9.30, and 10.50. Of course, all here in the main auditorium. So you pray and see. Would God want you to come maybe to the Christmas Eve? Or would he want you to come to Christmas Sunday? Whatever it may be, would love to see you here over one of those six Christmas services over this great Christmas season. So as we get ready to prepare our hearts for worship, I want to read just one verse of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We all know that name Emmanuel simply means God with us. And to think that the Most High God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, came to us, God with us, 100% God, yet 100% man, all so we could have a relationship with Him and be restored to a perfect relationship with God. I'm telling you, what a great, great, great God that we serve. So right now, we have this opportunity to worship Him from our hearts. So I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord this morning. together.
Are we good? There we go. All right, I don't know. I just pushed the button. So, all right, well, let me start over again. Good morning and welcome to the Ridge Church. We're glad that you're here. We're looking forward to a great day. Hey, if this is your first time with us, if you would grab one of those bulletins, inside the bulletin there's like a tear-out sheet, and you can fill that out, and you can drop it in the offering box in the back, or you can actually take it over to the information desk, and we have a gift we would love to give you. We just want to say thanks for joining us. We are so glad that you chose to be with us today. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in our life of the, of the Ridge Church as we enter into the Christmas season, we've got some stuff coming up on Wednesday night. We, of course, have our Christmas services. So grab that bulletin. It's got all the details for you. This morning for our mission moment, I wanted to point out something that we did last week as well. Uh, we have these bags of hand sanitizer uh, already bagged up, ready to go. And inside them, there's this really nice card that just says, hey, we, we appreciate you. We're grateful to share this community with you. And then there's a QR code uh, that someone can scan, and it will take them to a message of hope. It will take them to a message of how they can know Christ as their Savior. And we would love for you to grab some of these, and maybe on your way home, just drop them off at, on, on someone's front porch or front door and just say, hey, we're glad that you're here. And it's a great tool to say, hey, the Ridge Church cares for you. And more than just hand sanitizer, we want you to know the hope that's in Christ. And so this is a really easy way to share the gospel. And so we've got bags and bags of these. So take as many as you want. Um, we would love to see them, if possible, even all gone today. That would be awesome. Uh, but we know that the Lord's going to use those as a, as a great tool uh, to get the gospel message out. Because that's what Christmas is about. It's about that Jesus came and he lived a life that we couldn't live. And he died a death that we could not, that we could not, in a way that we couldn't. And because of that, because of his death and his resurrection and his obedient life, we have life and we have hope. And so this morning as we continue to sing, uh, let's just praise his name. Would you, pr would you pray with me? Lord, we love you and we are so grateful uh, for the truth that your son came and your son lived, and your son died, that your son rose again, that we might have hope. And this morning, as we sing songs, many of them probably about a manger, we know that over that manger hangs a, a shadow of a cross. And because of that shadow, we have life, and we have hope that you would come willingly, um, born in humanity, taking off your divinity, and to die on a cross just boggles my mind, because I wouldn't do that for me, and you did that for me. And so this morning, Lord, may we sing with hope, and Lord, if there's someone here who's, who doesn't have the hope that's found in you, may this morning they find that in you. In your name we pray. Let's stand as we read this scripture together. It is. Let's read this together. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddly cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. 
give our God a hand, a wonderful Savior.
great Savior. Good stuff, man. Can't wait for worship in heaven. I've always been told I'll be able to sing in heaven. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I hope it's true. And I know, you know, God, I've heard people say, you know, make a joyful noise. God gave me that voice. He deserves to hear it. So anyway, I, I look forward. The worship of heaven is just going to be so incredible. And I think we're just going to be so blown away at God's love for us. We're going to continue our little mini-series on mostly the Feast of Tabernacles, but we're talking about the seven feasts of the Lord back in uh, Leviticus 23. Now, I want to confess, probably for many years, I would say to people, well, you know, these feasts are, are basically to the Jewish people, you know, not to the Gentiles, not to the church. I want to publicly say I believe I was wrong. I think these feasts, to me, are meant for all of God's children. And I think all of these feasts, are saturated in Jesus. They're not only saturated in Jesus, which should make us interested in the feast, but also I believe they give kind of a prophetic calendar of God's timetable, and I think we all have an interest in that as well. And so here in Leviticus 23, verse 2, God says, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And so whenever anyone says they're, they're the, to the Jewish people, really God says they're my feasts. They belong to me. And I think when we understand that, and again, as we begin to study them, it really is amazing how much we can celebrate Jesus because all of these feasts point to Jesus and help us celebrate that. The word feast there, if you look it up, literally means divine appointment. So every year, God has seven feasts that he wants his children to celebrate. Now, people say to me, well, Roger, you know, what if it becomes routine? You know, doing it every year, every year, what if it becomes routine and becomes legalistic? Well, I would ask you, what if you told your wife, honey, I, I don't think we ought to celebrate our anniversary every year. I just, I just don't want it to be legalistic. Not a good idea. I mean, if your love has gotten stale, you, your anniversary should never become routine. And these feasts, when we really begin to understand them, it really is exciting to think about. And again, if God wants this to be something permanent, there's a reason. If God sets up these feasts, how many of you think they might be pretty important to God? And if they're pretty important to God, they're going to be pretty important to us as well. And so as I mentioned last week, the feasts can kind of be divided into spring and fall. In the spring, there's Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. And so all four of these are saturated in Jesus. And when we understand, as we mentioned last week, that Jesus died on Passover, was put in the grave at unleavened bread, and he rose on the feast of first fruits. And so we preach the gospel. I mean, the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says we preach that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to Scripture. You know what Scripture that is? Part of it is this Scripture. That it told us, again, that he died on Passover. I mean, of all the days of the year, he didn't die in the summer, he didn't die in the fall, didn't die in the winter. He died exactly on Passover. Isn't that amazing that all the celebration in the Old Testament told that one day the, the Lamb of God was going to die on Passover. So why study these feasts? Because in the feast is the gospel. 
I mean, it is the gospel of Christ that he, he died for our sin. He was buried. He rose again. And then on Pentecost, we get to celebrate Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, on Christmas, we're celebrating that God became flesh, took on an earth suit, and walked among us. But shouldn't we also celebrate Pentecost? That God not only loved us and wanted to walk beside us, but he loved us so much he wanted to come and live inside of these earth suits. That's crazy. I mean, we ought to be celebrating Pentecost every year that he loved us so much that he wanted to tabernacle inside of this earthly tent. That really is amazing. And so all the spring feasts are saturated in the gospel. They're saturated in the, in the life of Jesus. And in between the spring and the fall, we have the, the summer harvest. And if you're looking at these feasts as kind of a prophetic calendar, we're living during that harvest, a time where people are coming to Christ. Now in the fall, there's three feasts, and that is trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it would make sense that if all the spring feasts pointed to Jesus and were fulfilled by Jesus, how many of you have just a, an idea that maybe these fall feasts are going to somehow connect to the second coming of Christ? I mean, I, I just believe, and I had some kind of some fun this week thinking about that. And now three of these feasts, they were asked to come back to Jerusalem. It required all the Jewish males to come back. Some feasts you can celebrate at home, but some of them God wanted the people to gather together and celebrate these feasts. As we mentioned last week, that's Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, these three, they were asked to come back. Now, I just want to give you this thought. I'm going to throw out a couple thoughts today that I'm just giving you my thoughts. They're not necessarily Scripture, but they're thoughts that God gave me this week. What if Christ were to come back, if he fulfilled all the fall feasts in his first coming, and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, how many of you think there's a possibility that when he comes back, it might be on the Feast of Trumpets? Now, I would say, I used to say, we don't know the day or the hour. He's coming back like a thief in the night. And I would quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We don't know the day or the hour. He's coming back like a thief. And this week, I read right below that. How many of you think it's always good to read what comes before it and what's after it? All right. So, I mean, I, I get so excited, sometimes I stop and I don't read what comes after it. Is it possible he could come back on the Feast of Trumpets? possible. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if everything Jesus did in the first, he fulfilled those, those spring feasts. It wouldn't surprise me if he came back on trumpets. I'll be one of the first to say, I should have known that. I should have got that. You say, well, what is that, that scripture again that says he, he's coming like a thief? Well, let me just read it, and let me read what goes right after it, all right? So first of all, the day of the Lord, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, now as to the times and dates, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything being written to you. So first of all, he says, I shouldn't even have to write you about this. It's something you should already know. He goes on to say, For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord is coming as a thief comes unexpectedly and suddenly in the night. 
He goes on to say, while they are saying peace and safety, all is well and secure, then in a moment unforeseen, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a woman with child. They will be absolutely, or they absolutely will not escape, for there will be no way to escape the judgment of the Lord. Well, who are the they and the them? Who are the ones who are going to be caught off guard? I think Paul's saying the unbelievers. The unbelievers, he's going to come back like a thief because they don't know the scripture. They don't know God's prophetic calendar. They're going to be totally caught off guard. And I would usually stop right here and say, we're just not going to know. He's going to come back like a thief. We're just going to have no way of knowing. But listen to what he goes on to say. But you believers... And this is in the Amplified. But you believers, all of you who believe in Christ as Savior and acknowledge Him as God's Son, are not in spiritual darkness, nor held by its power, that the day of the judgment would overtake you by surprise like a thief. It should not be a surprise to believers. But unbelievers are going to be surprised because, again, they don't know Scripture. They don't know God's prophetic calendar. But he's saying to the believers, it should not surprise you. He should not come back as a thief to believers. And if we know the Bible, we understand. And he says, again, we do not belong to the night or the darkness. So I'm just throwing out as a possibility, it would not surprise me when he came back that he would come back on the Feast of Trumpets. Because the Bible says the trump will sound, the dead will be raised, and we shall meet the Lord in the air. Would it surprise you that might be on the Day of Trumpets? All right? So it just possibly might be. And so they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets every year. And I believe it, it, it looks ahead to the time when Christ does come back. Now again, could he come back? I'm, I'm not saying this is a fact, and I said in the other two services, if you guys study, I want to throw something out to get you kind of looking in the Bible, all right? So some of you are going to prove me wrong, and so if you want to take me out to lunch and buy me lunch, I'll listen to you. All right? I don't mind eating lunch and listening. I don't mind at all. I'm just saying it's possible he might come back on the thief, on the, on the Feast of Trumpets. And wouldn't it make sense If he did come back on the Feast of Trumpets, we'd be going, I heard that one day in church, didn't believe it. But if he died on Passover, if he was put in the grave on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if he rose on the Feast of Firstfruits, if the Holy Spirit came exactly on the day of Pentecost, why could he not come on the Feast of Trumpets? That's why we study the Scripture and understand so that we're not caught off guard and that we're ready. Now, I brought my shofar in today. How many of you noticed the shofar? I didn't bring it in last week, and so I'm going to try to blow it, all right? Now, over in Israel, those guys will hold it sideways. I have no idea how that happens. I have no idea. But I I played a trumpet when I was in grade school. But how many of you know when you put your trumpet down for 40 years, it's hard to pucker up, all right? And so I just practiced a little bit at the beginning, and so I've got to do something. This sounds a little bit gross, but I've got to kind of wet and spit on on the front of it here, okay? Now, one of the things that does, it helps me blow it, number one. Number two, you don't want to be on the front row, all right? But anyway, the third thing it does, nobody's going to come up here and blow this after the service. Because there's always children coming up going, I want to blow it, I want to blow it. Now, you parents see me spitting on it, you're going to tell your kids, do not touch that so far. Do not touch it under any circumstance. How many of you like to see Brenda blow it? That'd be kind of fun. Okay, here we go. That's fun. 
And if you're ever over in Jerusalem and somebody stands and blows the shofar, you hear it all over Jerusalem. It's really, really loud. And I, I shared with you guys last week, if you grandparents want to get back to your kids, how many of you, des- do they deserve a little bit of payback? Buy all the grandkids a shofar and tell them to practice at night. No one will be able to sleep in the house. Either that or get them a shofar and plug it up where it doesn't really play, all right? But anyway, so the Feast of Trumpets, is it possible that he might come back? It's possible. You say, I don't believe it. It is. I, I believe it might be, all right? So we can get together. You can buy my lunch, and I'll listen, okay? I promise I'll listen, all right? So after the Feast of Trumpets is the Day of Atonement, and on that day, it's a day of fasting. How many of you would rather feast than fast? I had much rather feast, all right? I'm just, I'm just being honest. But the one day a year, they would fast. It'd be a very solemn day that they would fast. And this was the only mention that the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies. Think about that. Only once a year, under the Old Covenant, could the high priest go in the Holy Holies in the presence of God. And we get to go in the presence of God 24-7 because he lives inside of us. That is so crazy. I mean, it really is crazy, the relationship that we get to have with God. And so again, as I mentioned on our calendar, these one-day feasts are two days because our days go from midnight to midnight, and the Jewish calendar goes from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. And again, they get that back in creation. When God created everything, again, it says the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. But again, somewhere we got our calendar where it's midnight to midnight, but not so in God's calendar. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which the Hebrew word for that is Sukkot. All right, everybody say Sukkot. So this got to be seven days long. That's why I, I love the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm just being honest. I would rather preach on tabernacles and joy and happy than on atonement and suffering and fasting. I get a lot more happy about feasting and celebrating with joy, all right? And so he says, celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. Isn't it kind of funny that he commands them to be happy? How many of you know that we need some happiness in 2020? And so we can be happy. He he asks us to celebrate with joy. And then, by the way, if you're looking at this as kind of a prophetic calendar, to me it tells me at least part of that millennial reign of Christ where he tabernacles with us, I think it's going to be a time of great joy. I think we're just going to be happy. We're going to be celebrating the goodness of God and loving on God. And so he says, I want you to celebrate with joy. This is a permanent law for you and must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation You must live outside in little shelters, which they call sukkahs. We talked about that last week. And this will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. And so again, every year for seven days, the last feast of the year was a feast of great celebration. And again, some of the early writers said it was the feast of all feasts. And it was a feast that Jesus attended when he walked on this earth. All right, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you may say again, what does the wilderness journey, what does that 40 years where they spent time with God, can we really apply that to the New Testament church? 
Paul says, absolutely. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about that wilderness journey that we're celebrating in the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is what Paul says. These things that happened to them during that 40 years in the wilderness were examples for us, and they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So is it applicable to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Can we learn from that wilderness experience? Absolutely. And Paul says in Romans 15, 4, everything written down was written for our instruction. So I believe it does apply to us in the New Testament as well. Not only right now, but as we mentioned, during the millennial reign of Christ, one day, can you, it's kind of interesting that the one feast that the Bible talks about during that thousand year reign of Christ is the Feast of Tabernacles. He says this in the book of Zechariah. All the nations shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. There's got to be something special about this feast as we celebrate because during the thousand-year reign of Christ, every year for a thousand years, he's going to ask all the nations on the earth to pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to come and worship with the King. And won't it be kind of cool for us to be able to say, hey, I learned about that. I'm ready for it. Let's party. We should be preparing for that. We should be knowing what's going on and not be caught off guard in God's prophetic calendar. And again, as I mentioned, I think last week, the nations that choose not to come, they don't, they don't want to participate. I love how the Bible says in Zechariah that God's going to shut off all the rain. So they're either going to come and worship or they're going to get shut off and have to have some suffering consequences. Kind of get the idea that God wants us to come together and to hang out and to worship Him. So what are a few of the lessons of, of the Feast of Tabernacles? Why does He want us to study that period in the wilderness? What can we learn from it? I could spend weeks talking about what we can learn from those lessons. I just want to give you maybe five. First of all, just to remember God's desire to dwell with us. And we talked about this last week extensively. When Moses got the tabernacle done, it says, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Isn't it kind of amazing, as hard-hearted as the children of Israel were, and they were really a tough, you talk about a tough church, they would have been a tough congregation. They were always grumbling, complaining. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Several times they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron. I mean, how many of you think it gets pretty serious when they want to kill the preacher? I take that very serious, all right? But anyway, they were grumbling, complaining. If there was any group you wouldn't want to hang out with, it was the children of Israel. But it reminds you how much God loves us. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our goodness. Even though we're hard-hearted and don't deserve the love of God, studying that reminds us that God so loved the people that he wanted to hang out and tabernacle with them for 40 years. That's a reminder of how much he loves us. His love is not based on our performance. But as I mentioned last week, true love seeks union. And because God is love, he desires union. He desires a relationship. And when we get that about tabernacles, that it's a celebration of God's love, it really makes it very, very special. And then a verse we talked about last week as well, Numbers 2.2, 2, says, They shall camp all around the tent of the meeting, but at a distance. 
Because they had sinned, they couldn't get too close, but God wanted to be as absolutely close as he could. And I love this, how the Bible says it was kind of in the middle of all the children of Israel. Now, if, if I were God, I would have built the tabernacle right by the preachers. I would have. Because I know he would want to hang out with us. How many of you think he'd like to build the tabernacle next to the Baptists? But the fact that he built it right in the middle. Isn't that very beautiful that God is no respecter of people? And I just want to remind you that God loves you as much as he loves me or he loved Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. When you really get that, It'll really give you an opportunity to get excited. Which leads me to that second point, equality. And may I see anything wrong with this picture? Now, when I was looking at some of these pictures and thinking about them traveling in the wilderness for that 40 years, I would like to think that Moses and Aaron had a really nice place. How many of you think they deserve a nice place? But as I look into these pictures, all of a sudden God reminded me that Moses and Aaron were no different than anyone. The truth is, obviously, there were no mansions as they went through the wilderness. Everybody was on the same level. If I were to tell you today that God loves you as much as he loved Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, matter of fact, the Bible says, I think it's in John chapter 17, that God loves us exactly like he loved Jesus. That's crazy. That God loves you with the same love and the same passion that he loved his son when he walked on this earth. When you understand when we're celebrating tabernacles, it's not only that God wants to tabernacle with us, that God loves us and he could not love us more. I mean, when you understand how valuable you are to God, how much that he loves you, it really is an amazing celebration that he would want to hang out with me. And the more you get to know me, the more you're going to be amazed at God's grace. Yeah. Remember when Peter was preaching at the house of Cornelius, and and they had a hard time accepting that Gentiles were going to be a part of the church, those dirty Gentiles. Isn't it funny that today I hear Gentiles debating on whether or not we should minister to the Jews. Can I tell you, the early church was all Jewish. The original church was all Jewish. And they struggled with the idea of us Gentiles being grafted in. But when the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles, Peter said this in Acts 10.34, I I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And can I tell you, when we get to heaven, I'm just giving you my opinion. I don't think many preachers are going to be at the front of the line. Because I want to tell you, you're going to discover that you were just as important to God as anybody. And that's why studying the feast uh, of the the Old Testament, when they tabernacle with God, it's a reminder that we're all equal in God's eyes. That's so important to remember. Third thing is daily provision. The Israelites really grumbled and complained a lot. And, and And to be really honest, how many of you, when you miss a meal, get a little grumpy? Can I get a witness from anybody? Now, in the middle service, I had several people look at their spouse, and they nudged them. All right, I get a little grumpy if I miss a meal. 
And so I can be sympathetic, the fact they didn't have any food. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and they were thinking about all the food back in Egypt. But one of the things we learned from that wilderness journey is that every single day, God wanted to supply that day's needs. You know, if we could learn to live the Christian life one day at a time, that would really help us out. So many times we're dragging baggage from our past, or we're worried about the future, that sometimes we miss today. And, and so they were complaining, and so the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven, and the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day. They will gather it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so here was the deal, if you read uh, Exodus 16. Every day they were allowed to go out and get that day's amount of bread. If they tried to cheat and get some extra bread, which would probably be some pastors, try to get extra bread, the Bible says it became rotten and moldy and wormy. So every day they had to go out and get that day's supply. Every day God wanted them to trust him every single day for that day's supply. Except on the sixth day. The sixth day God allowed them to get two days worth so they didn't have to go out on the Sabbath. But any other day if they tried to hoard bread it would always go rotten. Can I just remind you that every day we need God? You know, I'm 64 years old. I should be at a point that I can bank some spirituality and just every other day get with God. But how many of you know, those of you that have been in the trenches a while, how many of you would agree that no matter how old we get, there's not a day we get up we don't need God? And so we're reminded in that wilderness journey that every single day we got to depend on God for that day's amount. The Bible says the Israelites called the food manna, which literally means, what is it? Isn't that awesome? How many of you have ever had God bless you and you said, what is that? I kind of laugh. I could have really fit in with these guys. I could have grumbled, complained. I would have said, what is that? And now some people make manna out to be like T-bone steak. If you really study it, it wasn't all that great. But it supplied their day's needs. And you remember Jesus in John 6, he said to the people, I'm the manna that God sent. I'm ultimately the manna. And if you understand, every day, every day, we got to start our day out and we need to fill our tank with God's love. There's never a day you can get up and just go by yesterday's blessing. Every day we need the Lord. That's why Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, give us this day our daily bread. You know, if we could just learn to slow down, live one day at a time, it would really help simplify the Christian life. Learn to slow down. Number four, do not fear. And the word fear, I love the acrostic of fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. These are actual pictures that were taken in a haunted house. Now, I don't know if you've been to a haunted house. I know some of you are too spiritual. That's, you know... I've probably been to some. It's been a while. But how many of you know when you enter a haunted house, how many of you know you're going to make it out? They don't just collect a bunch of dead bodies in haunted houses. When you walk into a haunted house, your chances of getting out are up 99.99%. You're going to get out. And how many of you know when you walk into a haunted house, they're going to try to scare you? 
But even though you know that, going in, at whatever point this is, it maybe was the most scary part of the haunted house, those rascals were mean and they took pictures of them. That's mean. Now, how many of you, if you knew where this was, this particular spot, wouldn't it be kind of cool to go through the haunted house and when they get ready to take your picture, whoop, whoop, praise God. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? That when they're trying to put fear on you, you're worshiping God. It's amazing how the children of Israel lived in fear. And if there's ever a year in my life that I've ever seen fear, it's 2020. I'm telling you, COVID has put fear in people mentally. People are literally stressing out all around us and they're living. And there's people, I think, trying to get us to be fearful. Remember when they came out of Egypt, the Bible says the Egyptians marched after them and they were very afraid. They had the sea on one side, the Egyptian army on the other side, and they were very afraid. And Moses says to the people, chill, relax. Now how many of you would like to believe if we were in that coming out of Egypt and the sea was on one side and the army was behind, how many of you would like to believe we would be going, whoopee, this is exciting, don't miss this part, this is where God comes from, it's going to be amazing. How many of you would like to believe that you'd be praising God? But then I look at my life and sometimes I see the price of gas go up, I see food go up. If food doesn't go up, by the way, the quantity goes down. I mean, if you know that, that's true. They're breaking smaller quantities for the same amount. And sometimes we, we see the bill, we say to the cashier, I just can't, be- I can't believe this. The poor cashier, she's just ringing up what you got in your car. Wouldn't it be better to see it ring up and go, whoo, I don't know how God's going to do it. He said he'd supply all my need. I'm just trusting God. Isn't it exciting to see what God's going to do? I find myself grumbling and complaining. I'm just, I'm being real. God says you would have fit really good with the children of Israel. Talking about me. Because sometimes I forget that he's my supply. That he's sufficient. Now think about it. If God could get two or three million children of Israel through the wilderness without a, a Walmart or a McDonald's. When you think about that. He got two or three million people through the wilderness for 40 years. Do you think God could take care of us in America? That's why we're supposed to be happy on the last feast. We're supposed to celebrate the goodness of God, the love of God, the sufficiency of God. That's why this feast is so important. That's why all through the millennial, every year, we're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Wouldn't it make sense to start practicing now? I mean, it makes perfect sense to start practicing. Later at Mount Sinai, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. I mean, they were paralyzed by fear, I mean, throughout that journey. It's amazing, as we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, how many times God said in the Christmas story, fear not, fear not, fear not. The angel said to Mary, fear not, you have found favor with God. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife. His angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Over and over and over, when God began to move, he said, Fear not, fear not, fear not. And so again, as we understand God's goodness, we don't need to fear. This is a great verse to memorize, 2 Timothy 1.7. These are more pictures of the haunted house. I love these pictures. I'm probably like this guy over on the left. I was on to my kid. 
Fear can totally make you do crazy things. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what? Power, love, sound mind. I don't think God wants us to live one day in fear. I think God wants us to walk by faith and to trust him. Nick Vujicic, I don't know how to say his last name, said, Fear is the biggest disability of all and will paralyze you more than being in a wheelchair. Fear can totally paralyze you in your relationship with God. And I see it. I tell you, 2020, I've never seen more fear than I see in America in 2020. And then it, we're, we're in the middle of some crazy stuff, but I know God is bigger than crazy. I think God is faithful in every day of our life. And, and fa- finally, the last one, there's many, many more. He's commanded us to be joyful. You know, the children of Israel, if you study them, it was very seldom that they got happy and joyful. And sometimes we can get in that same rut where we fail to have joy. And so he says to celebrate this feast with joy for seven days. And then he tells them to take various leaves and and branches and to take the fruit. The etrox looks like a large lemon. And so this is kind of the different limbs and leaves that they used. And they would bundle them together. They would call the limbs as they put these branches together, the lulav. And the etrog is that that large lemon-like thing. And they would hold them together and they would begin to worship God. And so part of the celebration of first fruits was taking the lulav and the etrog, and again, they would wave it high, they would wave it low, they would wave it high, they would wave it low, they would wave it high, they would wave it low, they would wave it high, and they would wave it low. Why did they do that? Part of what they were doing is they were acknowledging that everything they had, the harvest, came from God. And they were just celebrating how God had blessed them. But also I think it's a picture of the ultimate harvest where people are going to come to heaven from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. As they went literally from east to west to north to south, I think they were saying to God, God, you're ultimately going to bring a harvest from the four corners of the earth. And in Revelation 7, John sees a crowd in heaven that no man can number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. I just want to remind you that that's why I believe the celebration of tabernacles is not just for the Jews. It ultimately reaches out to every people group on the planet to remind them of God's love for them. The more I study the Feast of Tabernacles, the more excited I get. By the way, someone, and this is another, just a thought to throw out, some messianic teaching believes that actually Jesus came, he was born during tabernacles. Now I know we celebrate December 25th, and I'm okay with that, but almost every scholar would say they pretty much agree he was not born on December 25th. But I never really thought about him being born on tabernacles. And they calculate it by when Zacharias was serving in the temple. Because they know when he served in the temple, they had a rotation. And we know that when the angel appeared to Zacharias and said, You and Elizabeth are going to have a child, John the Baptist. Six months later, the angel appeared to Mary and said, You're going to also have a child. So we know that Jesus was six months younger than John the Baptist. And if you calculate when he served in the temple, and again, they do all these calculations. I'm just throwing this out. Again, I want you to go home and research. I want you to take me out to lunch, and we'll talk about it. 
But they researched it and they said if you calculate when Zacharias served in the temple and you calculate nine months out, John the Baptist would have been born in the spring. Now some have even said, and I'm just throwing this out, some have even said they believe he was born on Passover, John the Baptist. Now I don't know. But if that's true that he was born in the spring, six months later would be fall. And wouldn't it be like God? Wouldn't it kind of be like God as we're celebrating tabernacles to celebrate the ultimate gift of God when Jesus came down and tabernacled with us? That would not surprise me. But I'm still going to celebrate on December 25th. I'm just telling you. Some of y'all look worried because it's going to mess up your Christmas plans. I don't. Anytime we celebrate the birth of Christ, I think it's all good. Well, again, as we study Scripture, I think God gives us some ideas. And again, if Jesus fulfilled all the spring fe feast, it would make perfect sense that these fall feasts are going to be pretty vital as well. So here's what we're going to do. I want you guys, and we did this in the other service, if you have your billfold, or you have, ladies, if you have some kind of a wallet thing, I don't want you ladies to hold your purse up because it might be too heavy. I don't want anybody to get hurt. If you don't have a billfold or a wallet, just grab an envelope on the pew in front of you. Those in the balcony, you just got something. We're not going to take an offering, so everybody take a breath. We're not going to take an offering. But what I want us to do, part of their celebration, as they would wave the lulav and the etrog, again, they were thanking God for the harvest. They were praising God for his goodness, but they are also praying for a future harvest as well. And so what I want us to do, if you have an envelope or if you have your wallet, I want, us to, I want you all to stand, everybody to stand right where you are. Now, I'm not going to have us turn from side to side because then you couldn't read the screen. But I want you to hold the envelope up or hold your wallet up. And I want us to take just a minute and just thank God for what he's given us. I want this envelope to represent everything God has given you. And in the best uh, voice of worship, in the deepest part of your heart, I want us to thank God for all that he's blessed us with and for future blessings as well. And so this is our way of just saying to God, God, this envelope just represents everything you've blessed me with. I just want to say thanks. I acknowledge that everything I am, everything I have comes from you. Everything I will have is a gift from you. And I just want to worship you and say thanks. So I want us in the best way that we can. I, there's two screens here. So I just want you in your most worshipful voice. You might want to whisper it. You might want to weep through it. You might want to shout. But however you can best worship God... I want us to hold these before God, and let's just praise Him. And they would say something like this, all right? So let's go together, all right? Our praise to you, eternal God, sovereign of all. You hollow us with your word and command us to dwell in the sukkah. Our praise to you, eternal God, sovereign of all, whose word teaches us holiness and who instructs us to take up the lulav. And so they would worship God. It was really a celebration of praise and thanksgiving. And it was an acknowledgement of God's incredible love. And the more you study it, the more excited you get about it. And some of you may say, is it going to get any better than this? Yeah, yeah. 
They would celebrate, and I love to see pictures of how little children are involved in worship. They teach them as little bitty children how to be thankful to God and how to celebrate and to worship God. And my last slide, I love these pictures of the little bitty children. At a young age, as even as babes and infants, teaching them to be thankful to God and to worship God. I want to close with this verse as Paul was writing from uh, jail. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, take pleasure in Him. Again, I will say, rejoice. Get happy. Celebrate God's love. He's going to take care of you. He's going to see you through. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. And again, does it get any better? Yeah. Next week, our last in this little series, we're going to talk about the last day of the feast, which the Bible calls the great day of the feast. It was happy the first six days. Seventh day gets crazy. It gets Baptocostal. Those of you that don't like crazy, stay home next week. You won't like it. You say, did Jesus ever celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, he went to the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Bible says it was on that last day, the great day of the feast, we're going to talk about that next week, that he stood up and he proclaimed that God not only loved you enough to come and walk beside you, but for the first time he proclaims that one day God will pour out his spirit and he's going to come and live inside of you. He did that on the last day, the great day of the feast. That's when he proclaimed that. Some of y'all on the way home are going to have to pull over. I don't know what next year looks like, but wouldn't it be fun to celebrate tabernacles during tabernacles? Let's pray. If you feel comfortable, just Turn your palms toward heaven. And I just want you just to take a moment and just receive the love of God. I again want to remind you, the Bible says that God loves you as much as he loved Jesus. Wow. I just want you to receive that love. That God wants to take care of every need in your life. As he took care of the children of Israel, every day he supplied that day's supply. Would you just receive the love of God and just ask God to fill you with his spirit? Father, thank you for your love. I thank you that we have the study of the feast that you gave back in Leviticus 23. And God, they're just so saturated with Jesus. They're so saturated with your prophetic calendar that, God, how would we not want to be in on that? Father, I pray as our palms are open toward heaven that, Father, you would reach down, wrap your arms around each of your children, and just love on us. And I pray this year at Christmas would really be the most joyous Christmas that we've ever had when we truly celebrate your incredible love for us. Fill us, empower us, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.